pray together. Father in heaven, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Help us all to use it to light our way, to show us where to step, to guard us from missteps. Help us not only to hear it, but to heed it, that we might know the fullness of your goodness, your grace, your mercy toward us. Uh, Lord, help me to teach it today, both rightly and well, and help those who hear to hear it with ears to hear, as Jesus puts it, and to weigh it all by the yardstick of your word, enlightened by your spirit, and to hold on to what is good in it, to take as to take it as what you have said to us, to all of us today. And we pray in the powerful name of the living Jesus. Amen. You know, it might seem a strange thing to say, but if someone said, I'm in a praying mood, what mood would that be? Uh, does it mean he's happy and he's satisfied with life and, and uh, he's in a mood to extol God's praises for it? Or, or, or he might be in a different mood. He might be desperate, just in terrible, terrific need of deliverance to God's deliverance right now he's at the end of his rope you know and he's in a he's in a mood for prayer he's in a praying mood then or maybe he's just experienced a great deliverance you know something an answer to prayer perhaps a, or an end of a long season of trial has finally come to an end and and uh and he's just really or he or she just wanting to pour herself out in in uh in praise uh, thanksgiving, gratitude, or what? Or what if somebody said the opposite? What if said I, I'm in no mood for praying? I, you know, I'm in, I'm not in a mood for prayer. What prayer? What mood would that be? Maybe it because, maybe it because he's he's uh, he's kind of mad at God. To be honest about it, he's mad at God for not answering prayer or or at least not answering it in the way that he had hoped for and prayed for not in a timely fashion or maybe maybe God had let some situation they've been praying and praying and praying and God's let it drag on and on and on and on and just never has resolved or maybe even they've prayed this person's prayed and prayed instead of getting better it gets worse he says I'm no mood for prayer (laughs) Or maybe a person who says, I'm in no mood for prayer, is he's not so much mad at God, but he's mad at other people. And he'd just rather, rather than pray, he'd just rather hate on them for a while at least. He's just got to. I'll pray, I'll pray to God when I'm cooled off a little bit. I can't do it now. I, I'm, no, I'm in no mood for prayer now. Or, or maybe... Maybe this person says he's in no mood for prayer. Maybe he's not in the mood for prayer because his, his, because uh, he's ashamed. His his sin is too fresh. It's too it's too fresh. And, and and you know, like Adam in the garden, he'd rather hide himself from God right now. At least for a while. I know I'm going to pray later, but I'd not. Not on the heels of that. 
the Old Testament book of Psalms can be thought of in a way as uh, Israel's prayer book, or maybe even more accurately, Israel's hymnal. Uh, much of the Psalms is written explicitly in the language of prayer, you know, addresses to God. But even where it doesn't read like that, even where it doesn't read like explicitly like prayers to God, it, 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 uh, the prayer is implicit in it. Many, many Christians, especially those who are longer in the tooth, maybe wiser in years, uh, they come to fall in love with the Psalms. They just fall in love with them because the way it expresses the believer's heart toward God. Think of this. Remember this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see in that, you see how it flows in and out of addressing God directly. You know, and it, and it, you know in the second person. You know, this, that's why we usually think about prayer. You know, the prayer is talking to God. We're talking to God. And the, and the psalm, that 23rd psalm, it flows in and, in and out of that. He doesn't, say, he doesn't start out that way. He doesn't say, Lord, you make me lie down beside green pastures. It, he says, he makes me, down, it makes me lie down in green pastures. And yet by the middle of the psalm, he's slipped right into speaking to God. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You know, and like it flows. So even where it's the Psalms aren't addressing God in you know, saying you, you are this, you are that. It's in the, it, 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 uh, it flows in and out of addressing God directly. And it all has the, the flavor, the, the aura of prayer. It's like when the psalmist turns toward other people and he said, he, he, and he says, he makes me lie, lie down in green pastures. It's like the Lord is there. And he turns his eyes from the Lord to other people who are hearing. But it's all in the presence of God. And you know, the whole psalms, all of them, they, they, uh, they, people love them because they're, it's the expression of the heart toward God. We love it. I've read that psalm, that 23rd psalm, and I'm not, the, the Psalm 23 is not the text today. But I have, I have read that at funerals before. And, and at times, not all the time, but sometimes the whole gathering, everyone who's there, when I start reading, they just spontaneously start reciting it aloud. They start saying it with me. And isn't it something that the most well-known the uh, most recognizable portion of all of Scripture, isn't it something that it would be something from the Old Testament? Isn't that amazing? 
That it, you know, you know, I read First Corinthians 15 at most of the funerals I do too. I've never had people spontaneously, you know, break in and start reciting it along with me. Too many perishables and imperishable and imperishable and imperishable. <laughs> but that tw- that's so, you know, they just, they just all, you know, sometimes they they have just started right in, from memory. Isn't it amazing that that the passage that most people that if they know a passage it's be something from the Old Testament and then not only that isn't it something that if it's going to be something from the Old Testament it would be from the poetry section you know that a lot of people find difficult and, and uh, but it expresses the heart of the believer toward God and it becomes uh, precious to us uh, people have noticed you know scholars and just people have noticed that the psalms seem to fall into various uh, kinds, uh, various categories. There are praise psalms, and they 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 call it, well actually this one we're going to do today. It's it begins a song, the inscription over the top, a song of praise. So it's a pray, but there are praise psalms uh, that focus on who God is and what He's like. They're psalms of thanksgiving, and they're a little bit different than praise psalms because the psalms of thanksgiving are are not so much focused on who God is and what he's like, but they're focused on things that God has done. You know, God has moved, God has delivered, and we're thankful for it. The the psalmist is thankful for a great deliverance of of some kind. Uh, There are royal or sometimes called royal psalms, sometimes coronation psalms that uh, uh, that extol God's kingdom. God's rule, and, the, and these carry a, really a heavy theme of messianic hopefulness. You know, they, they might be talking about King David, but they're, you know, but they're also, in a bigger way, they're talking about the coming King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who establishes his kingdom. And it's, a, it's kind of a hopeful and longing uh, for, for the coming kingdom of God. The largest category of psalms are what are usually called lament psalms. There's more lament psalms than any other kind. And, and some of the lament psalms sound a lot like complaint. They could call them complaint psalms. You know, it's Lord. And here's, a, here's a, this kind of the theme of a lament psalm. Lord, let me tell you about my problems. <laughs> and could you please do something about them? <laughs> lament psalms. Why haven't you done anything so far? <laughs> or the... A, a, a lament psalm can be written from a perspective of shame. Not complaint, but shame, appeals for forgiveness. Or a lament psalm could be, well, there, there's a group of psalms that are, that are usually called imprecatory psalms, imprecations. And that's where the author appeals to God to get his enemies and get them good. <laughs> now, they're not all neat like that. You can't all... Now, sometimes you can't... Sometimes a lament, a strain of lament shows up in a praise psalm or a thanksgiving psalm or one theme. There's some kind of messianic uh, kingdom coming you know, that you'd think, well, that's a coronation psalm and it sneaks into one of the, you know, sometimes there are strains of other kinds of psalms and so it's not all that, uh, all that neat, cut and dried. Sometimes 
sometimes some one scholar one will de- describe a psalm as what's well, this kind of psalm and some other uh, st- student of the scriptures would say well no I, it's a different kind of psalm but these identifiable different kinds of psalms are all written from different moods and sometimes dramatically different moods like the praise psalm and the lament psalm, are di- they're different moods all, all together. And so that we can see, or at least we, we can't, we could see if we're willing to see, that no matter what kind of mood we're in, it's a perfectly biblical and fitting mood for prayer. <laughs> so you say, I'm in a... So really, if you understand it, say, well, I'm in a mood for prayer, you have no idea what kind of mood that is. It could be any of them. All moods are moods for prayer, whether they're happy, or whether you're troubled, or whether you're in trouble, or you're hopeful, or you're mad at your enemies, or you're ashamed of yourself, or even if you, even if you are put out with God for, at the moment... No matter what mood you're in, there's probably a biblical example in really even a, from the Psalms of prayer arising out of that mood. So are you in the right mood for prayer? The, the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. No matter what mood you're in. I, I began to advocate last week for more prayer in 2018 I, you know and I, what we're doing now is following up on that I, I think one of the reasons we why we don't pray more is because of a restrictive view of what prayer is for what it is and or you know minimalized you know it's it's a it's not as broad as it ought to be. And and a limited view of what the proper mood and feel of prayer ought to be like. So that maybe someone thinks that, that, well, you know, prayer is for church. Prayer is for church. or And if it's not for church, at least it's at least for when I'm feeling all worshipful and, and peaceful and contented, you know, then I'm calm and satisfied with the Lord. You know, that's time prayer. Or... Or uh, prayer is for some, prayer is for people who are sick and people who are traveling. Let's pray. Let's let's pray. Who has who has prayer requests? Oh, let's think. Who's sick? Who's traveling? Right? And not that we shouldn't pray. You know, there's new t- there's commands to pray for the sick. It, it's a little bit more difficult to come up with prayer for travel, but you can find it. <laughs> but you know, just that's what it's for. Okay, who's sick? Got over all the sick people, all the traveling people, or or prayers for when I'm in a real jam, when I'm at the end. That's what prayers for when you're at the end of your rope. You know, you know this this old joke. It's an old joke. Everybody's heard it. You know, the elders uh, the elders are trying to wrestle with the budget and trying to find where what are they going to cut and what are they going to do and where's the money going to come from. And someone says, well, let's pray. And another one says, has it come to that? Are we in that bad a shape where we're reduced to praying? <laughs> you know? So 
this more biblically informed, more full-orbed view of prayer is, is just much grander, much more expansive, so that no matter what mood you're in, you're in a mood for prayer. And over the coming weeks, we'd like to illustrate some of these moods of prayer from the Psalms. Uh, David Huey and I are hoping to work together on it some, and I'm, and I'm, also, I'm hoping to make a more compelling, bigger case for you to do. Really, it's kind of a, breaking apart and pulling apart and looking at it more closely. What we said last week, First Thessalonians 5.17, pray all the time. Pray all the time. Pray lots. I don't, and I, you know, I argued last week, it's not get somewhere you're praying 24-7 in some kind of unconscious way. No, it just means do it lots. Never let it be long since the last time you prayed. And say amen a lot. Quit praying a lot. You know, <laughs> Start and stop and pray all the time. Pray about all kinds of things. And pray no matter what mood you're in, whether you feel like praying or not, whether you're mad at people or not, whether, you know, all the time and i want to begin today by looking at one particular praise psalm it's pretty purely a praise psalm and thinking about the mood of the psalmist as he wrote it as a praise to god it's psalm 145 and like i said it carries the inscription a song of praise so you know it's identified for us it's a song of praise of david and let's read it all together, like a responsive reading, but we're all going to read, we're all going to read it all at once. Everybody. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. 
He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It isn't hard to discern his mood, is it? <laughs> Doesn't he, he just, he gushes with joy, right? He just gushes with joy. He, uh, he's just, he sounds like he's just aware that he's just like swimming in God's goodness, you know? He's, and he's, he's breathing in God's goodness with every breath. And he's in a, he's in a, he's in a terrific mood. But he does recognize something right off the bat. He recognizes something that not everyone who's in a great mood does. He recognizes that the, that the basic goodness of life, you know, this goodness of life, you know, is due to the goodness of God. God gives every living creature the food they need when they need it. God takes care of everything. He connects that, that dot. It's the kindness. Why is life good? I mean, you can find people in a great mood a lot of times, but they're not aware that it's... The reason they're in a great mood is because God is good and God has been good. Life is good. God made life. <laughs> There's a there's a basic goodness of life and he and he he connects he makes that connection he takes ownership of it of this uh, of this of his faith in God it, it isn't just God it, it isn't just God it's my God my king he's the God I worship and this it's the God I worship, but it's also the God who's taken ownership of me. I'm his child by covenant relationship. I'm his and he's mine. And it's true of you too if you're in Christ. He says, I will bless your name forever and ever. I will praise your name every day and praise your name forever and ever. Forever and ever. I mean, is, is David not aware of the reality of death? Is he not forever and ever? Well, of course he was. He was aware of it. He killed his first man as an adolescent. <laughs> You know, many adolescents today or teenagers, they a lot of them have never seen uh, a dead body, and it's a terrible thing to see. The, the skill of the undertaker notwithstanding. <laughs> David was well acquainted with death, and he's, he, he dole, over his lifetime, he doled out far more than his share of it, and he knew he was not immune to it. And yet he says, I will praise your name forever and ever. So he knew, he knew that death was not the end of him. He knew that death was not the end for him. Because he was in a covenant relationship with the living God, who's not, as Jesus says, he's not God of the dead, but of the living. 
so would David say he would he would never he would not suffer physical death? No, he would never say that. But he'd say, I will praise his name forever and ever. I'll praise your name every day. And then, and name praising the name. What's the name? The name is the when you read that, it's not just praise, you know, Jehovah, Yahweh. It's not the name so much. It's that the name stands for the person, the essence, the identity, the nature of that person. So I will praise. It basically says, I will praise you. And he says every day. The Hebrew is enlightening here. The Hebrew, you know how, the, you know how that part reads in the original Hebrew? It says, I will praise your name every day. <laughs> Same as in English. Every single day. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. In other words, you can't get to the bottom of it. You can't, you can't lay it out and have nothing left to say. You can't, you, you can't get to the end of it. No matter what you say about God's greatness, God's goodness, God's love, God's mercy, God's kindness, no matter what you say about it, there's more that could be said. You can't exhaust it. Verses 4 through 7 are, are about one generation passing on the praise to the next generation. Verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. Then it says they, verse 6, they, who's the they? They are the next generation. <laughs> having caught God's praiseworthiness from their elders. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You know, I feel an advertisement for Sunday school teachers coming on here. But uh, we need a few. But when someone offers their time, their effort, their commitment as a teacher of upcoming generations, they're doing more than helping the church function. They're doing more than helping us get through a day of doing what we do. They are helping fulfill this generational obligation, this generational duty to pass on the faith once delivered to the saints. And it isn't just... When you look at the flavor of this, it isn't just information about God we're passing on. It's passing on the praiseworthiness of God, the awesomeness of God, the greatness of God. And as much as I would like to boil this down to a need for Sunday school teachers, you know, when I, when I look at it, I rather think that more of that kind of cross-generational training and praising God becomes it's more a function of the sanctuary than the classroom. It really, it is. As much as I'd like to just turn it into an infomercial for some Sunday school teachers, it seems to me like that function, passing on the praiseworthiness of God to the next generation is more in this room than downstairs. Uh, because here is where the younger generation sees how praiseworthy God is. <laughs> how awesome he is to us, how great he is to us. 
Does it seem heartfelt? The adults, look at the adults, you know. Does it seem heartfelt? Does it seem sincere? Does it seem joyful? Does it seem real? Or does it more look like they're just kind of going through the paces or paying their dues or or uh, fulfilling a sense of duty, a sense of obligation, but not so much enjoyment? Because when we find something praiseworthy, we praise it. And we can't help ourselves. <laughs> Did you see that catch in the playoff game? I'm not talking about any particular one, but that's something we say, right? Did you see that? Wow. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that video posted on Facebook? Wasn't it whatever? Funny? Or inspiring? Moving? Or it might say, probably not today. But we'd say, what a day. <laughs> isn't it fantastic? Wow. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it, isn't this fantastic? Sun on our face and clear, look at the clear blue sky. C.S. Lewis famously observed that true praise is never really rendered out of a sense of mere duty, but out of an enjoyment, out of an admiration of that which we praise. And when we experience something that we truly value, we appreciate, we enjoy, our enjoyment, he pointed this out, and I'm going to read a quote that really put, I can't help but reading <laughs> later, that it's not real, our enjoyment of it is kind of extended in telling other people about it. I was impressed with that catch, but I got to talk to some people about it <laughs> and relive it, you know, re finish enjoying it. Pass it on. I invite them to praise it with us. And I and I notice of myself, I'm really bad about this. I'm well, I'm maybe good about it or bad about it, but when I f find things that are praiseworthy, I just I got to tell other people about it. <laughs> And invite them to enjoy it with me. Some years ago, just a small example, some years ago I came across a, a Christmas album by kind of a jazz pianist. You know, you know the one I'm talking about. And I, I loved it. And I, I'm sure I just, people got weary with me saying, you got to hear this. It's fantastic. And I played it for everybody I could. And Teresa came to us. Uh, I told myself, that, you know, I'd, I'd known about this recording for a year or more, but when Teresa came to us and I heard her play some, I said, she's got to have this. I, this, is her, this is in her wheelhouse. And my, en my enjoyment of it uh, was increased by inviting and bringing other people into that, into a community of praise about that thing. And so this is the place right here where we share together the praiseworthiness of God. And this is where it's caught uh, from one generation to another, or not. <laughs> but this is, this is where it happens. The, the Lord is gracious and merciful, he says, verse 8, slow to anger and abounding in loving and steadfast love. I'm kind of going through this and, and I'm trying to unpack it a little bit. I'm not going to get all the way through, I can tell. 
I heard, uh, I heard, uh, what was it, Alistair Begg. He began a sermon. He said, I have three points today. I'm quite sure I'll only get to two. <laughs> so we won't get, get through this, but the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I know you can say that. If you were in Christ at all, I know you can say that from your own experience. I know you can. If you have any insight at all into your own self and your sins, if you feel the weight of your own sins at all, and if you have any insight at all into the holiness of God, then I know you can say the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That Our sin... There, you know, a true view of our sin and a true view of the holiness of God is what, that's what makes grace amazing. <laughs> that's what makes grace amazing. Well, it, the Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he's made. Verse 4, skipping down. The Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. A couple verses later. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. And at some point, someone may be thinking, well, it's all fine and good for King David to say he was the king. He could tell anybody to do anything and they'd have to do it. God went out of his way to be good to him. He was blessed. He lived in a palace. He lived like a king because he was. That doesn't apply to me. My life's nothing like that. Well, for one thing, just wait. David wrote some lament psalms too. But remember also that David wrote this psalm against the background of his whole life. Most scholars say this is the last psalm that David ever wrote. And although David's life was marked by God's blessing and his mercy, his life was also deeply marred by sin, his own and the sins of others. And his life was riddled with violence and tragedy. David lost his best friend to an early and violent death. He knew what it was, and you'll think through the life of David. I'm not going to you know, connect it up, but you know this true if you're familiar at all or very much with David's life. David knew what it was to be unjustly suspected, falsely accused. He knew what it was to run for his life, and although he had done nothing wrong. David knew the shame of public humiliation when he had done something wrong. in the matter of the wife of Uriah. David lost a son in infancy after he pleaded with God to spare the life of the child. David's own household was defiled by incest and murder. David had a rebellious son, rebellious to the point of trying to kill him. Trying to kill David. David knew the pain of losing that rebellious child growing up. 
whom he still loved to a premature and violent death. David knew what it was to see a lifetime dream die. He wasn't allowed to build the temple. There were enough terrible things in David's life for him to be bitter against God. But he could see through all of that, all of that garbage in his life, all that terrible things in his life, and see the greater, grander, underlying goodness and grace and mercy of God and praise Him every day. And I think your life, and mine too, is just like that. I think that there has been enough in, in just about every life, just about every person's life in here, there has been enough pain and disappointment and maybe tragedy for you to be bitter about life, find nothing in here to, you know, no capacity for praise, and, you know, morose and sour and disappointed with life, if you are of a mind to be that way, I think there's enough. And there has been more than enough of the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God to praise Him every day with a full and sincere heart if you're of a mind to do that. I mean, I kind of come to a close, not immediately, but kind of pull it together by... Reading that quote from C.S. Lewis, I can't—I almost can't help but do it. <laughs> I've used it before, but it's from a, a work of his called Reflections on the Psalms, and it, and it draws a lot of these themes together. But listen to it. He, he writes, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be the inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? 
The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. If it were possible for a created soul to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, What's he talking about? God, the Lord. If it were possible for a created soul to appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. So if you are in a a, a terrific mood, <laughs> if life is good, and this is pr- this is probably how it is, well, for I won't say for everybody, for a good many people, much of the time. Life is good, and you're enjoying it. Be sure to trace that feeling or that appreciation. Trace it back to its source. It's God. The reason you're in a good mood is because life is good, and life is good because God is good. Praise Him. Praise Him for it every day. Do it before. Invite others to join you. Isn't God good? You know what's you know what's not in this psalm? You know we read it together. It's twenty-one verses. It's a little longer than the twenty-third, isn't it? Is it you know. It, 23rd, you commit to memory, and that's why the, that's one of the reasons why the people say it aloud. You know what's not in here, in that psalm? The to-do list. The to-do list. God, here's who's sick, heal them. Here's who's traveling, watch over them. Here's, I need a new job. I need this, I need that. Would you do something about this? Would you do something about that? And once again... Where this isn't all of it. This isn't all of prayer, right? Uh, And God invites us to give our requests. We're invited. We're commanded to to make our requests to God. So I'm not saying that shouldn't happen in prayer. But enlarge it to... Prayer is more than that. It is... (laughs) Enlarge it to include this the praise because your life is good and you know it. And you know it. 
a lot of people think they got a bad life, they've had a bad life. You know, they all cling to it. <laughs> none of us, almost none of us, want to give it up. It's good. It's good to live. It's good to be in relationship with people. It's good to eat. It's good to drink. It's good to to work. It's good to rest. It's good to play. And life is life is good. We know it. When return, well, return it back to God. Recognize before Him that He's the source of all of that. He's the source of all of that. You know, Psalm 145, it starts, you know, it's it's in the language of prayer, really. You know, there's some parts that are not addressed to God specifically, but it's about God. But it all has this aura of expressing the heart toward God. You know, it starts with, you know, there's a let's pray and there's an amen and there's not one request in it. It's, it's praise. Uh, pray, praise him. Okay. Pray more. (laughs) Here's one way. Praise more. Praise more. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're no less great, no less praiseworthy today than when King David wrote this 145th Psalm. May we find you so. May we live in your goodness more consciously that we would praise you more deeply and more often. May we live the abundant life Jesus came to give us that we might return praise to you and to your glory and to and the fulfillment of our enjoyment of knowing you. Now, Lord, not everyone can receive this truth or walk in this reality, but only those who know you through Christ. So we pray that any outside of Christ would open their hearts to your good gifts by trusting him for the salvation of their souls and receiving him as their Lord. We pray in his powerful name. Amen.